This podcast contains sensitive topics and explicit language that may not be suitable for all listeners. Previously on The Shot. Nothing points to the direction of a robbery. This was, this was, I'm going to use the word an assassin. If someone suggested that there was a Martian uh, who'd come down and done this, we did everything we could, you know, I'm, I'm being facetious now, but it, we would have contacted NASA and said, can you help us with this? There's nothing to be said about Mrs. Decker except condolences. Do you think you know who, who it was? Gary is talking to Raymond Perry's lawyer, Jennifer Stanton, and her P.I., Larry Smith. He's trying to find out who they think really killed Victor Decker. We came up with various scenarios that seemed to point to a particular suspect. And we can't go into any more I'm detail. Not, than I'm that. not going any further than that. I have my own opinion. Mm-hmm. And I'd be glad to share it with the right people and the reasons for it. But in fact, I think we already did that. Or at least we attempted to. <laughs> Remember I said earlier on that uh, we, our strategy or our game plan was to take the facts and circumstances and the evidence and the discovery, so all that together, and try to prove it or disprove it. Our job is not to solve the crime. Our job was to see if they had arrested the right people that we represented. They didn't. Now, taking it a step further and trying to solve the crime is really their job, okay? But you have to ask yourself, and it's a rhetorical question of sorts, why would somebody inject themselves into a crime scene if they didn't have to? I'm Gary Harkai. I'm Joanne Kimberlin. We're reporters at the Virginian Pilot in Norfolk, Virginia. And this is the final episode of The Shot. Stanton and Smith made it clear they don't know who killed Decker. At this point, anyone could be a suspect. But they did have someone they thought should be investigated. They wouldn't name that person. But who injected themselves into the crime scene? Who said they were there that night Decker was killed? I can't wait till I get my $100,000 reward when I get out for this. Yeah. Yeah, bitch, I get the reward money and everything. That's all me. What? You lying, man. That's Lamont Davenport, the prosecution's star witness. We tried one more time with Stanton. We asked her about what Smith said, that they'd tried to share their suspicions with prosecutors. At that meeting, did they point the finger at a particular suspect? We never did say that specifically. We hinted more than anything else that we thought that some of the people they already had talked to, uh, who had clearly not been honest with them, uh, might need to be re-interviewed. They obviously disagreed with that, but they, they didn't take the hint. <laughs> 
So might need to be re-interviewed because they might have been involved. I can't really comment much further on that. We were always happy to give them information if they wanted it, but every time we attempted to give them information, they completely ignored it. So that's not on me. So you still feel like they're, y'all still have some people in mind that you'd like to, you think they should be talking to? Like I said, we, we hinted, we told them we'd be happy to tell them information if they wanted to sit down and talk to us, and no one has ever called us to say anything. We have seen no evidence that they have done any further investigation at all. Smith says he's willing to talk with authorities again, if they're interested, but prosecutors have said in the past that they believe Perry and Turner are guilty. And with both men behind bars now for other crimes, they've stuck to their guns. The right guys wound up in prison anyway, even if it wasn't for killing Decker. Here's how Harvey Bryant, the Commonwealth's attorney at the time, remembers that meeting with Perry's defense team. I don't really remember the substance of it, other than to tell you that uh, Dave Bouchard and Jennifer Stanton, uh, as do most defense attorneys, come in and try to convince you that you don't have a case, you got the wrong dog. Find another one. We know there's some other barking dogs you need to go check out because it's not our dog. And in my mind, a lot of that's designed just to cause a lot of, uh, you know, chasing dogs. <clears throat> so, yeah. Here's some holes in Davenport's testimony, other than the fact that he was caught lying on the phone, of course. For one thing, he told police he was staking out a drug dealer who owned a blue Bentley that was parked in the club's VIP section that night. Defense attorneys tracked down every blue Bentley in Hampton Roads. All were accounted for. They questioned the club's parking valets. You'd notice a blue Bentley, right? No one had seen one at the club that night. And remember that guard shack video? The dark and grainy one that was analyzed by the FBI? Assuming their experts were right, Davenport's testimony doesn't line up with it. Number one, he said Perry and Turner were on foot, hurrying back to the club's parking lot after they shot Decker down by the borrow pit. But the FBI notes a suspect car pulling out from a spot near Decker's pickup, which was parked just outside the pit's gate. Number two, Davenport said that after he heard the shot, he drove by the pit and noticed the lights on inside Decker's truck. According to the FBI's timeline, those lights have been dark for at least six minutes when the flash of the kill shot shows up on the video. We asked Emily Munn and Tom Shepard, Turner's attorneys, what they thought. Do you all have a suspect in mind? Do you think a murderer is still out there on the loose? Yes. Do you? Yes. I, I don't know who that is. I don't either. We wanted to ask Virginia Beach Police and Colin Stolle, the current Commonwealth's attorney, about the Decker case. Both turned down our requests for interviews and declined to answer written questions. They say they're worried about revealing something that could hurt a future prosecution. Is the Decker case still open or closed? We can't get a straight answer. Dawn has been trying to get an answer for years. Virginia Beach said it was not an active investigation and the Commonwealth's attorneys said that it, they needed to ask Virginia Beach. Basically it was, you know, no. And when I've called the Virginia Beach Police Department, there's nobody assigned to the case. There's no one they can put you through no. to talk to this detective? There detective is no John Allen and Detective Course have been reassigned to other cases. I get it. 
This is, you know, a seven-year-old case almost. They're not gonna sit there and look at the same case files over and over again. But I've asked, can we bring the FBI in? Can we assign somebody else? Can somebody else look at it? Because you can look at something and miss it a thousand times. Let somebody else look at it. But nobody's assigned. I was told that I should accept that Kareem Turner and Raymond Perry are locked away on other charges and that I should just be happy with that. But how do I know 100% these are the people if there hasn't been a trial and they weren't found guilty? So I'm sorry, I can't accept that. I can't accept that somebody is out there possibly who got away with murder. Dawn can't even get her husband's pickup back. She recently wrote a letter to the judge in the case asking for the truck to be released and for the court files to be opened. She got a reply from the clerk of courts telling her to contact the prosecutor's office. Okay, so the truck isn't, wasn't entered in as evidence. Why can't I have that back? There's stuff in there that I would like back. Pictures, letters, personal effects of his. Cards that I gave him, cards that he gave me. I know Dawn said a lot about like the, she's wondered why her truck has not been returned all these years later. Um, do you have any idea what, like, is that kind of just common practice because it's a piece of evidence or? I'm not sure exactly at this point, but that's not uncommon, yes, to hold it as a piece of evidence. Um, again, the condition of the truck at the time it was found and now, uh, all of that could be very important to any witness who comes forward and, you know, hasn't been in front of the special grand jury, hasn't previously made a statement, but says, I was there, I saw this, or I saw Perry, I saw Turner, and somehow, I don't know exactly how, but they'd use the truck as, okay, good. so come show us where you say Victor Decker was standing before he got down on the ground. Come show us where you say on this truck, using the truck as an example, walk around the truck. Where was Perry? Where was Turner? You know, where were you? Mike Mather, the former reporter, says good luck ever getting into the case files. On one hand, they tell the public and they tell Don, it's solved, the right guys are in jail, so don't worry about it. And they've even told her no one is actively working the case. But on the other hand, they want to keep all the documents sealed and won't talk to us because they say it's an open case. That's, you know, that's the catch-22 with the Virginia Beach Police Department, and it's, it's been a challenge, and they get to maintain that posture because of the state's very weak open records laws. So any case at all that could be, that did not result in a criminal prosecution, they have the blanket authority to keep it closed. I believe it would be in the public's best interest that, you know, if a case reaches a certain age, or if there is a declaration that you know, we, these are the men who did that crime, but for reasons beyond our control, we can't prosecute them, um, that they do open the case. We asked Brian if he thinks the Decker case is on the back shelf. I think naturally as human beings go, the answer, unfortunately, is probably yeah, yeah that Perry's not going to kill anybody else. We want to find the evidence that will help us conclusively, beyond reasonable doubt, tag this on him. 
but there's there's such a volume of other cases to have to continue to handle. It's easier. I, I'm. I think it's probably easier on the prosecutors because, frankly, we act and react based on what the police department brings to us. So, I doubt that there's anybody in the Virginia Beach Commonwealth Attorney who's working on the Victor Decker case or the Perry case or the Turner case today, tomorrow, last month, last year. They're waiting for the next thing to come up. Do you feel some, like Dawn has said, she's been told by people, well, just be happy at least they're in prison. It's, you know, it may not be for the murder of your husband, but these two guys, the guys who did it are in prison. Is there any sort of solace in that for prosecutors and police as well? Or? Yes, there is, yes, there is some solace that he's there, not out there running around loose, because frankly, I don't believe any, either one of them would be loose for that long. Uh, they'd be killed somebody, robbed somebody, as Turner did, and be back in custody. To know that Perry is, is never coming out, and probably Turner either, so that they're never going to kill anybody else, unless it's a prison guard, um, is good to know. But it's not entirely satisfactory, and I don't expect a spouse or a child or a mother or a father to be satisfied by that. I don't ask them to be. It's just, it's not satisfactory. I want the person who killed my loved one to be tagged with that so the world knows you're the one who did it and you're going to get punished for it. Did you meet Dawn? Um, and can you give us your impressions of her? Yes, I've met her and talked to her uh, at the time, at the funeral also. And um, she was a grieving widow uh, and a grieving mother of a small child, a baby. And I could not, in the beginning, I don't know what about now uh, or even later on, years later before I retired, I think she knew that, at one level, she knew that we were doing everything we could, uh, the Norfolk Police Department and the Virginia Beach Police Department. But like every, everybody else, she's a human being, and I think she had, somewhere in the back of her mind and soul, felt like there's something these guys aren't doing. You know, she's like, like us. She's just in, in disbelief that there's no more than this. You can't do any more. You don't have any more than this. Just Be Happy doesn't sit well with Michael Muhammad either, but for different reasons. Muhammad is the community activist you met in earlier episodes. That's a further extension of the level of arrogance of people who will not say, I made a mistake. It's sad that they won't accept responsibility for the fact that they made a mistake. They thought they could slam dunk the ball. They could take two young black men who they did not believe had lives that mattered, and they could frame them for this murder. They could put them away for life, possibly even the death penalty, and it would be over. That's what they believed. You don't double down on your wrong. You stand down on your wrong. They may never find out if, they, I mean, if they're not going to investigate it anymore. The only thing that could fall into their lap is if I don't think, I don't, I don't remember, was Deckard's firearm ever recovered? Mm-mm, no. If that falls from the sky, which I think uh, unlikely at this point, but if it falls from the sky, they'll be able to chase that back. Because whoever gets caught with it, 
will have a lot of heat on them. And they will probably help walk that back. But it's so far now, I mean, it's been a long time. I mean, the offense was October of 2010. It's 2017 now, so I think the likelihood of that happening gets less as we go forward. Two guns are actually missing. The murder weapon and a 9mm Decker had in his pickup that night. Police have an empty cartridge they think came from the murder weapon. It was quickly entered into a ballistics database that can match unique firing pin marks with seized guns. So far, no hits. Information about Decker's handgun was also entered into a database in case the gun or a cartridge fired from it ever turns up at a crime scene. But Stanton believes police made a costly mistake with that one. She has a document that indicates they waited nearly a year and a half to enter the info from Decker's gun into NCIC, the National Crime Information Center database. That's a real problem, she was told. NCIC computers can't go backwards. The missing months must be searched by hand for a match, and no one could promise that would happen. You know, the more I talk to uh, officers, many of them former students, uh, it becomes very clear they just don't have the time to spend researching uh, any particular case. So if evidence isn't, you know, right there and available where they can connect the dots, um, they just have to back away from it. That's criminologist Dennis Stevens. Do cases where it's an officer killed, though, those I would normally think, or at least certainly that way in the movies, all the stops are pulled out? Um, I think you said the most important part in the movies. The, the detectives can only do what they can do. Things were tough for Dawn after her husband's death. Not just emotionally, but financially. Most spouses of fallen officers are entitled to a state and federal package known as line of duty benefits, as much as $400,000. But Decker's death remained a mystery. No trial, no conviction. And if it was indeed a random robbery, like police were saying, it wouldn't qualify as line of duty anyway. Without her husband's salary, Don had to short sell their house. That was probably hard to give up on that because it sounds like you probably tried really hard for a long time to hold on to it. I did and there was a lot of memories there. Um, we kind of decorated it ourselves and he did all the rewiring of the house when we moved in and it was just kind of, you know, he'd painted the nursery for Charlotte. So it was hard to walk away from all those memories but at the same time it was kind of almost needed maybe to kind of separate myself a little bit from it. There was more to come. Her father died Don was really close to him. And keep in mind, she now knows that her husband was cheating on her. Of all the things that I remember about this case, it's, it's she is the one that I, I'm really stuck with because I just cannot imagine having your life turned upside down this way. Not only in the, just the gut-wrenching reality that your husband has been you know, robbed and murdered, but she is not getting any kind of police benefits. She's not, you know, she she signed up to be a police officer's wife, knowing that that would be the the worst possible outcome to have your husband killed in the line of duty. But you know, a lot of wives just accept that. So to have that happen, 
have her get no additional benefits and then find out that he had an entirely secret life. And just to have to endure that, I, I don't know how she's done it. With the Lenny Duda benefits, Charlotte would be allowed to go to the children of police survivors camps every year. Um, these are children who have lost their parents in the same manner that Charlotte lost Victor. I mean, so she would have someone who understands. She doesn't, she doesn't really have that. She was young enough that she doesn't necessarily have any memory of him, but I've never hid who he was to her. I still have pictures, I still have all of that stuff out because I want her to know who he was. So she has questions and I try the best I can to answer those questions. Yes, is there money that would come from line of duty benefits? Absolutely. Everybody knows that. It's not a question. Victor's name being on the wall in Richmond, the wall in Florida, the wall in DC, that's more important to me. Joe Barron, one of Decker's supervisors, says it's a tough situation. It is what it is, you know. It's tough to make a case that it's in the line of duty without more information. And you, and you would need that, frankly, from a suspect, seeing if at any time, you know, he identified himself as a police officer or activated himself, you know, as a police officer to take some kind of law enforcement action. I think that really stinks as far as how they got dealt. In terms of not getting the line of duty benefits? Yeah. Well, I mean, he wasn't, obviously he wasn't in the line of duty. I mean, he was out, but I don't know. It's just, it still doesn't sit well with me. That was Jamie Colston, one of the club owners downtown who knew Decker. If he was in a car accident or something, I guess that's just straightforward. But we know he was murdered. I think to me says, that's line of duty, period. <laughs> uh, you know, that's my personal opinion. Yeah. So, you know, there needs to be something there. Um, maybe if he had been in Norfolk at the time, it might be a little different, but he was in Virginia Beach. We know they don't get along, so maybe that has something to do with it as well. Uh, who knows? Dom went back to school, got a degree, and a good job as a medical assistant. In a lot of really important ways, she's managed to move on. Now, I want you to explain who this guy is who's been sitting next to you. Very quietly. Hands, so faithfully, <laughs> quietly, dutifully. Yes, this is Kevin. Dawn is remarried. Our initial meetings with her were at a Chick-fil-A near her apartment. The first time we met, Kevin was beside her, she was slow to introduce him. In fact, I think we had to ask, who's that guy? It was kind of awkward. Finally, she answered, this is my new husband. Now that we know her better, we get her hesitation. Don lived in the limelight for a long time, the wife of a murdered police officer. People expect to see tragedy in tears. You don't know what's right and you don't know what isn't right. Do you move on? Do you publicly move on ever, you know, in this situation? No. Kevin has been great. He's held me in 
my frustration and my tears and all of that. And he's somehow managed to understand that I'm a little bit of a mess on my own and he accepts that and doesn't really, you know, say anything negative about it. He just kind of accepts it and says, okay, we're gonna handle this one day at a time. Kevin has two daughters of his own. It took him a long time to convince Dawn to give him a chance. We had a lot of mutual <clears throat> friends and just kind of honestly through Facebook just started talking and um, for a really long time. <laughs> and, and then finally she agreed to, to meet. Even before we met, we were talking for hours at a time just about really everything. And um, once we actually physically met face to face, it was just that same normalcy that same comfort that same no awkwardness yeah there was there was no awkward silences there was no it was just here we were we were talking you know and then she had to go but it was okay it was okay and he was certain he'd never see me again (laughs) I, i felt like that was the case but no it's good days and bad days and just taking taking each day in stride and um you know given giving her her space, you know, when she needs it. Um, to me, it's pretty obvious to tell when she's having those days, even if she's not overly forthcoming with the information. Um, she likes to keep that to herself a lot. Um, but just, I mean, allowing her her time when she needs it, knowing when there's she's, you know, in one of those in one of those moods or having one of those days. And then there's Charlotte. Do you see a lot of Victor in her? Absolutely. She has his eyes, his eye color especially, and um, she has this crooked smile that he used to get when he, you know, would do something mischievous or knew he was going to get in trouble for something, or um, she will give me the same exact smile, and I sometimes just have to look up at the sky and go, really? <sighs> like, what am I supposed to do with that? And Dawn is pregnant again. I'm due in November. Charlotte is thrilled about it's going to be another sister, so she's excited. Yeah. Feel like you're turning a corner with this? Sometimes. Sometimes. Um, I still feel like there's a part of me that's kind of like standing still and waiting, Um, but I'm trying my hardest to find my own sense of happiness and kind of my own, you know, way, but I still kind of every once in a while feel like I'm being pulled backwards back to who I was, you know, back in 2010. She's not the only one haunted. That list is long. This is the kind of case that undoes you. This this case, knowing that the Commonwealth attorney is about to take these cases to trial with junk evidence, with witnesses who are not believable, you know, all they would have had to do is seat a jury that bought it. And these guys would have been in prison for the rest of their lives for it. That's that, or, that's or haunting. Dead. Yeah, no, that, that haunts you. We talked to Harvey Bryant um, in this room last week um, about the case. And he is still very convinced that, uh, that Turner and Perry, that they have the right guys. As a citizen and really a supporter of the police departments and someone who's, I'm really good friends with a lot of Commonwealth attorneys, my colleagues who I respect, I would be more impressed if the Virginia Beach Commonwealth Attorney's Office would say, we don't know who did it, we hope we find out someday.
because the Decker family deserves to have someone behind bars for killing, executing someone they loved. So it's disappointing to me that their position is that they still have the right guys because that means that they're never going to find the right person. That means they're not going to try because they have to, their cover is that they already got the right people and that for reasons they can't explain, they were not able to prove a really important case. And their office proves really important cases every day. I think a good word is disappointing that they would think that they still have the right guys when it's pretty clear that they were duped, I think, by, by Davenport. Mather gives the attorneys a lot of credit. They took on an unpopular case. How do you go to court day after day and defend two people accused of robbing and murdering a police officer? Yeah, maybe lesser attorneys would have tried to work out some kind of plea agreement or plea deal or, or somehow get their clients to cop to something. But these folks took a lot of heat for it and stuck to their guns that they are not defending um, angels and the best citizens in the world. But they really viewed the defense as, a, as their duty, and they pulled out the stops and showed without a doubt that all of these niches were bald-faced lying to just to try to help themselves. Closure. It really is just the need for closure. I know that I will never actually 100% know what happened that night. The only people that know are Victor and whomever killed him, or anyone that might have witnessed it. Closure. That word comes up a lot in this story. Assistant Chief Daryl Howard, one of Decker's bosses, wants it for Don and everyone else. I think it's unrealistic for anyone to think that just because seven years have passed since this happened, that she's going to be able to just forget about it. I, I just don't think that that's realistic at all. And I know for myself, you know, it's not been something that I have been able to have closure with personally. And um, honestly, I don't know if I ever will. But one thing I do know is that I still have his phone number programmed in my phone. I just never took it out. This is something that sometimes can kind of die out because as time goes on, people forget. This is one of those situations where hopefully this will reach someone that has something that can bring this case to an end. Dawn has started calling the prosecutor's office again. I don't call every Friday anymore. I don't see the need. I already know the answer is they have nothing to tell me. And um, so I call once a month, maybe t once every two months, and just touch base because I don't want them to forget his name. I don't want him them to forget that I'm still here and I'm still asking what happened and why isn't this being investigated? What would it take to revive the case? So what are we hoping for in the future? Uh, and I don't really know the answer to that. The gun that we were looking for suddenly shows up, uh, can be matched to the bullet that was taken out of his body and, and that sort of thing. One thing leads to another. One of these people changing their story again is not going to do it. That's just not going to do it. Um, maybe a deathbed confession out of Turner or Perry, which I seriously doubt. It's not easy to 
necessarily feel like you're, you know, the one to blame for all of this. You don't blame yourself for his death now, do you? I do. I still do. I I think there will always be a part of me that will. Because I, I wonder if I could have maybe kept him, like, if I had said no, would this have happened? And then Charlotte would have her dad. And maybe this wouldn't, I mean, I can't say where we would have been at this point, you know, seven years later. I mean, would we have been married? I don't know. But at least he would be here. And that would be a choice. More than anything, I would rather give that little girl the opportunity to know who he was. Because she didn't get that chance. There isn't a day that I don't feel like it's happened. Um, especially every, <laughs> every May and October are really hard for me. Um, because, of course, May was when we got married, and so I have all those memories. And May 15th was our wedding anniversary. May 28th is his birthday. So I give him a card every year for our anniversary and every birthday. I haven't missed a year. What do you do with those cards? I collect them, and hopefully someday Charlotte will have them. That's my intent, is that she can see that no matter what, no matter where my life has gone, that I've never forgotten him and never stopped loving him. Don also tends to a roadside memorial near the spot where Decker was killed. There's a big cross, painted blue and black, the colors of fallen police officers. Colston drives by it to take his son to school. He thinks about Decker a lot. That was, uh, had to be a scary moment, scary time, that's for sure. <laughs> I wouldn't have walked out there by myself, you know, especially in that position. You know, why I did, I don't know, but um, it, you get that. It's a weird, it's an eerie sort of feeling out there. It was either incredibly lucky or brilliant. Right? I mean... What do you mean? Well, it was too perfect. The crime? Yeah. Yeah, and there aren't many of those, are there? I yeah, mean, it, that's what it you was either... Yeah, it had to be lucky or flawlessly executed. We're in our studio talking with our producer, Randy Greenwell. Randy has sat in on most of these interviews. We're wondering what he thinks. There's so many possibilities. Everything from a jealous lover to random crime but we keep circling back to the skilled nature of the deed. Lots of homicides go unsolved, but not many are like this one. Chillingly professional, intensely personal. If it wasn't the perfect crime, it was close enough. At least so far. I mean, there were, you know, if you watch the video, there's a number of people moving around in the shadows beyond Decker. So I think there may be as many as two, three other people back in there. It's just hard to tell. And I mean, it's possible there's somebody still out there that knows what happened. You know, there's, it's possible that there's somebody out there who saw something that night who could tell, who could shine a, a, a lot of light on this that's just not said anything. The first thing we told you in this podcast was that Decker's murder was caught on video and that you can look at that video, but you still can't see it. 
It's like the whole mystery. At the end of this podcast, we still feel the same way. But here's the thing. We don't have all the pieces. We're newspaper reporters, not cops. We've done with this case what reporters do. We tried to shake things up. For this murder to be solved, it needs police. Maybe there are stones left unturned. Maybe the guns will turn up. Maybe the cops should talk to Stan's PI and find out what he knows. It seems like there's more to do here, more to investigate. If someone will just keep looking. Maybe it's not time to give up on this one. Thanks for listening, and if you like this podcast, do us a favor and go on iTunes and give us a good review. Five-star reviews will help more listeners find us. The Shot was produced by Randy Greenwell and edited by Bill Henry with special help from Josh Davidsberg. Music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. WTKR contributed TV news clips. Will Halp is our digital graphics editor. For graphics, photos, and more, go to pilotonline.com slash the shot. Sources for this podcast include documents and other materials found in court records or obtained by the pilot from credible sources who wish to remain anonymous.